Hello and welcome to the Hashtag Five Things podcast. I am backup host Joey Scarillo, who is uh, filling in for one Kenny Gold, who apparently has lost his voice. And you can't host a podcast without a voice. So uh, I am the relief pitcher this week and filling in for him. But alongside me, I've got a great cast of characters, more J names. Juliana is here with us. Hello, Juliana. Hello, Joey. And I don't think we've seen him since Instagram unleashed reels on the world last year. But back with us is Joseph Day. Hello, Joseph. Hello, Joey. Feels like 20 years, but yeah, that was that was just last year. It's good just to be last back. Summer, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Great to have you. Um, awesome. So today we are talking about Instagram added new pronoun options, which is uh, awesome. And YouTube announced hashtag beautyfest. Uh, Pinterest tested live streaming functionality. Facebook launched the test of audio rooms. And YouTube announced a $100 million shorts creator fund. So you know the drill. Every week we dive into five things in social media and we give our point of view on how they affect you as marketers and the world. So let's get into it. So first up is, is me and I'll take you through this one. It's uh, Instagram adds new pronoun options to their, uh, to their user interface and you know to maximize inclusion. I think it's a great thing. Um, they rolled out this pronouns option for users' profiles, which will, you know, let them uh, select up to four pronouns that they can put next to their name um, on their on their profile, which is awesome. I think this is a great step for inclusion. I think, you know, this is probably something that hopefully the other social channels will will do as well. This is a great way to make people feel included and 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 heard. And what's really great about it too is that it's optional, so you can set your uh, you can set your pronouns, but you don't have to show them to the world. I think you can also select who sees them, which is great. Um, I'll probably do this because I know a lot of people in the, over the past maybe year and a half, two years, have been putting their pronouns in their profile anyway. I, I know I did, um, and I do it on my email signature. And I think it's just a great way to make people feel inclusive, make people feel you know like they're like they're being heard, and so that it sort of eliminates that conversation of you know, having to ask what your pronoun is, you could just see it right then and there. Um, so I think it's great. It sounds like it's gaining traction across the other networks as well. LinkedIn might be jumping on board, um, which is, you know, these are all good things for inclusion. So hooray for Instagram. Um, this is great. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, you know, social is meant to be an extension of one's identity, at least for, for, for a lot of people it is. So it, it's, it seems like a logical, responsible choice for if, 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 you're, if you want your social channel to be somewhat of an extension of your personality, who you are, your identity. It's, you know, it's, it's great that you can have that sort of field where you can just include your pronouns. It's, it's, it's awesome. I think as well, just kind of looking at, you know, we've had conversations in the past couple of months about, you know, there being a greater recognition for the need for be like closed captioning and a greater recognition for there to be some sort of just, uh, I guess, recognition of the difference of individuals and allowing people to kind of bring that to the forefront and creating accessibility for people in that way. And so I think it's really interesting just as far as, you know, from like a business standpoint, being mindful of the current conversations that are happening around representation and inclusion and, you know, trying to, if, at the very least, you know, if you're not at the forefront of it, 
at the very least, you know, staying abreast of these conversations because eventually they're going to become the standard and you don't want to be left behind. Yeah. I I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you a little personal thought process that I had when I was putting my pronouns on my social channels. You know, I'm a white, straight, cis man, right? So I, my, my pronouns are he, him. And my thought, you know, I had the thought of like, well, do I need to put my pronouns on my social? And then the next immediate thought was, well, absolutely I do. Because like who there that, you know, we shouldn't assume anything. And so I just sort of had this thought and was like, really, you know, kind of felt like, uh, you know, like be a, be a, be a partner in all this. And so I think everyone should put their pronouns on. It eliminates questions and just sort of is more inclusive. And, um, yeah, I hope to see it more in the workplace too. More people yeah. putting it in their email signatures and just becoming regular introductions as we move through the world. Yeah. It's almost like instead of asking yourself, why would you put them? It's like, why not? <laughs> it's like, exactly. Yeah. That was, yes, better articulated, but yes, exactly. Good on Instagram. So let's move on to YouTube announced hashtag beauty fest. Joseph. Yeah. So YouTube announced this thing called beauty fest. Uh, this, it happened this week, actually. Um, I, I think it's actually still happening, but it's basically like a, a digital convention for uh, beauty creators, beauty influencers, as well as uh, beauty industry professionals. So uh, the aim is really to for, for people who, who attend and watch Beauty Fest to come away with insights, takeaways as to how they want to you know shape their beauty campaigns or their beauty approach moving forward. So you get the, the sort of the hot takes of the creators, but you also get the hot takes of marketers and and, and, and industry professionals, depending on you know, who you want to, to, to inspire your, your beauty campaigns. And I think that this is, this makes a lot of sense, right? Like, you know, beauty and self-care has, you know, really popped over the pandemic. And so it just makes sense that they would create a sort of digital convention that can kind of hone in on that, on that specific group of people and that specific group of creators. And that's sort of that mindset. Um, I actually attended YouTube's VidCon, which was a physical event a few years ago. Once again, it feels like 40 years ago, but um, that was really cool and also was divided into two tracks, like a creator's track as well as an industry professional's track. So you were once again able to get insights from both sides of that coin, which I thought was a really cool full story for them to be telling. So I imagine it's the same sort of flavor as VidCon, just very honed in on the beauty community and just a lot more specific and probably have a lot more you know cool key takeaways if that's what you know the type of products you're selling or promoting. Yeah, it looks like there were some big names attached to it as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody from like Gwyneth Paltrow to, you know, YouTube, actual uh, YouTube native creators. But uh, I don't know, are you, are, you, are, you, are you into the beauty space, Joey? Joey? <laughs> I mean, you never know. Uh, actually, the, the closest in I had to the beauty space was a recently binged uh, Glow Up the, on, uh, on Netflix, which was incredible. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> As one does. I, I mean, yeah. the, uh, my phase of the pandemic right now is uh, British reality uh, game shows. So we're doing the great uh, flower fight and so we're going through the British shows now. Uh, Julian, any thoughts on this? Yeah, less so Game of Thrones, but more just it's just so interesting to me now because I think uh, originally when these like various communities kind of started the rise in YouTube, like uh, Joseph, when you were speaking to VidCon, um, you know, prior to that, it was just people having to kind of organize themselves. But I find that these platforms are recognizing there's a lot of value and power in these individual creators and trying to give them those connections, give them those spaces to kind of elevate their profile and also showcasing the value of being on YouTube versus being on TikTok, being on Instagram, whatever have you, by creating these moments. 
I think will be increasingly important as there's fluidity about where their content can live and there isn't so much kind of the stronghold that YouTube has of that being where they're going to to showcase their work. Yeah, so if anybody's interested in learning more about uh, Beauty Fest, that was hosted on youtube.com slash fashion, apparently. So for anybody who wants to learn more about that. Nice, and hopefully they can catch up some of the, maybe some of the speakers afterwards if they missed it live. Um, Okie doke, moving right along. Pinterest tested live streaming functionality. Juliana, tell us about it. Well, speaking of community events hosted on various platforms, Pinterest in the end of May is going to host a three-day virtual event. Uh, It's going to feature a range of these live stream sessions from creators and celebrities, um, and it's all going to be available through the Pinterest app, so you can only access it through mobile. Uh, And a lot of these sessions, if you look at who's going to be presenting, um, build off of either Pinterest creators, mostly of content, or creators have a pretty hefty following, and they're either like unpacking, you know, the the work that they do. For example, there's a photographer that's going to be talking about how he approaches his craft. Uh, also, you know, some creators that are going to be instructing on some element of what they do. Um, so everything from recipe making, clothes hacks, DIY, you know, whatever have you is all going to be living in this space. And what's great about this is that Pinterest users will be able to comment and interact with creators during the streams. So it's this really cool kind of interactive live event, you know, as close as you can get to being in the moment. Uh, as possible. And I think, you know, we, we speak a lot, you know, the heavy praise of Pinterest, but I think this is another super smart move from them. It's kind of this masterclass meets like YouTube channel approach. It also has like this great, again, disruption of where people can turn to for information. As you see TikTok being a space that people turn to more so for that kind of quick hit of info. Um, and, you know, Pinterest bringing themselves in that space. And also just generally, we know that people on Pinterest are probably a little bit further down the funnel of consideration. So being able to directly see how to make this recipe with these things and then go forth and buy the ingredients will be you know, fantastic once Pinterest introduces a shop uh, shopping function into it. So I'm Jazz as all get out, uh, but happy to hear how you guys feel about it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting. It almost feels like it's inevitable for every social platform to have to eventually have their own sort of live component to it, because why not, right? I think what I'm going to be curious about is, you know, what for the creators that are on Pinterest, the DIY creators, etc. I imagine that those creators are also on YouTube uh, doing their own DIY stuff. But I'm sure that there are people that are just specific to, to Pinterest, and then therefore, they would be using Pinterest live exclusively. But it brings, you know, I guess it begs the question of, you know, how is Pinterest Live for those types of creators going to be unique, going to be different than YouTube Live? And why would you choose to watch a DIY live stream on Pinterest versus watching a DIY live stream on YouTube where it's 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 already pretty popular? So I'm 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 very excited to see how Pinterest uh, does live differently and does it in, 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 and gives it big sort of their unique spin. Yeah, I'm curious if there's just maybe like. I would say that there's almost a greater intimacy on Pinterest compared to say like a Mm -hmm. YouTube. It feels very, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the ability to look at, you know, this world that I've created for myself, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of leaned into that versus, you know, YouTube sort of, it's been so standardized as a form of entertainment that I, I think it might not have that as much, but this is, you know, entirely conjecture. And Jonathan Van Ness is involved and we all love Jonathan Van Ness. It's going to be a hit. (laughs) Um, all right, moving right along. Um, Joseph is going to talk to us about Facebook launch, the test of audio room. And we've been, 
I feel like we've been slowly inching towards this face. What's Facebook going to do in this space? So Joseph, tell us about it. Yeah. So Joey, as, as you mentioned earlier, and suddenly the last time I was on this podcast was when uh, Instagram was inspired by TikTok and created reels. I, you know, inspired by uh, just like how they were inspired by Snapchat to create stories. Um, here I am to tell you about how Facebook was inspired by Clubhouse to now create their their own sort of audio product of group voice conversations or live audio rooms. Um, <clears throat> so they're just testing this out in Taiwan first, but not to say that they're not going to inevitably roll it out to the larger markets. Um, you know, I think that first off, this it's it's interesting to think about what what audio rooms could be like for Facebook, knowing who you tend to be following on Facebook versus what audio rooms are on Twitter spaces, considering who people tend to be following on, on Twitter uh, or even Clubhouse for that matter. So in my mind, audio rooms on Facebook would be a lot more uh, oriented around your friends. And I, I can see them doing well with Facebook groups where you can imagine a much more intimate, casual conversation between, you know, amongst you and, you know, a, a wedding group or amongst you and a, and a high school friends group. Um, so I can see audio rooms kind of having their own unique flavor on Facebook when you think about that that sort of casual conversation intimacy. Um, <clears throat> they're also This is also part of a, a wider rollout of other audio products that they're apparently uh, attaching themselves to, uh, putting podcasts on their pages, as well as rolling out an in-feed uh, product called Soundbytes, um, which I'm assuming is, is literally just content as sound. So I guess the takeaway here is that, you know, Facebook is, continues to try to kind of do everything and get inspired from what other social platforms, you know, kind of are doing well. Um, so just interesting to, to think about this, the future of social and, and, and wondering if it's going to be more about social channels that, you know, are specific at that one thing that they do very well, like Twitter doing text-only brevity really, really well, uh, Instagram doing, you know, uh, static visuals really well, TikTok doing short-form video really well, and then Facebook just kind of trying to do everything from one-to-one -one messenger to in feed to now audio and they're even re you know releasing tokens so that you can uh tip uh creators similar to how you do it on twitch so just just curious to think about what people are going to want to gravitate more as their social destinations channels that are specific at a certain facet of communication or a channel like facebook that simply does everything or maybe that's just audience based yeah i'm I will say as the uh, the podcast producer, I'm excited about Facebook's integration uh, with podcasts. I know the podcast community has been sort of excited about this, um, you know, just to have a major social network, you know, putting putting podcasts front and center and discoverability. I also think Facebook's jumping on Apple right now because there's been a lot of, um, throughout the podcast community, there's been a lot of dis. Uh, distaste, discomfort, dissatisfaction with Apple as of recently with the new rollout of the um, the new iOS and the integration and then all the podcaster tools on the back end. So this kind of feels like Facebook is maybe jumping on that quickly, um, knowing that people are a little down on Apple podcasts right now uh, it, within the podcast community. This is not the consumer. Um, but I think it's great. And hopefully, you know, after they roll things out on Facebook, I would personally would love to see more of like a podcast integration with Instagram where maybe we can share a clip or like an audiogram uh, that I can build directly in Instagram and don't have to use a third-party app or, you know, create it on my own. Um, so all these tools for audio, I think is, they're just great. They're really moving, moving it forward. Juliana, what did you think? Yeah, no, I, I 
don't have the POV of the podcast host, uh, Joey. So you make some pretty solid points. I guess my question kind of goes to Joseph, your last point about, you know, the everything in the kitchen sink approach that Facebook has. Mm-hmm. There are 70,000 toggles and buttons. Yeah. And the app absolutely overwhelming me. Um, well, I do think it's great as far, as far as what trickles down into other spaces that'll be a little bit more seamless. You know, Instagram already, if you're uploading a short video or whatever have you, that functionality is kind of diegetic to the space. But I'm very mm-hmm. curious to what degree it'll gain traction, like on an individual level um, within Facebook when they do have this like gigantic slate of things that you can do. It, it makes me think of when MySpace allowed you to kind of run wild with your HTML and your music uh, content, you know, if it can almost become more daunting than necessary for what the actual user base needs it for. Yeah, you're so right about Facebook feeling really uh, bulky to the point that it's kind of overwhelming when you open up the the, uh, the channel. And, and even to the point that the, the, the mobile app feels like it's trying to kind of uh, pack way too many things in its experience. It's just, it's a really, really clunky experience for me. So it makes me wonder if maybe it's going to further that disconnect between the older generation that might not be savvy enough to visit different social platforms for different facets of their communications and just want that sort of one-stop shop for all their, you know, their high school friends and, you know, the people that they grew up with. And so maybe an older generation might actually really appreciate that Facebook is kind of packing everything into one sort of space and place versus maybe younger generation that's just a lot more digitally native, appreciating the notion of, of social specificity when it comes to their channels. Yeah, I can definitely imagine all of my um, older relatives from the Congo and France using that as an excuse to corral us on one place <laughs> like a WhatsApp message that you can't escape. So yeah, that's fair. And again, for me personally, maybe if it's integrated into Facebook, I don't have to explain to every uh, aunt what a podcast is and they'll just, they'll just be integrated <laughs> into their Facebook stream. I want a podcast <laughs> of you just explaining to ants what your podcast is, man. I feel like that's a podcast in general. Like, Yeah, the podcast is what is a podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and how to find it, exactly. Yeah. Um, all righty, moving right along to thing number five. Juliana, talk to us about uh, YouTube announced a $100 million shorts creator fund. I'm all about these creator funds. Tell me about YouTube's. Yeah, wow. I feel like a lot of the content today is talking about the movement of copycats and how they're allowing their work to live. Um, So actually, I remember a couple weeks back, we were talking about when YouTube was rolling out shorts on a higher level. So um, YouTube shorts is essentially a TikTok competitor, uh, you know, short form video um, that you'll usually see it like kind of within feed, especially if you're on your phone, you'll see those like shorter videos available. And so YouTube is injecting $100 million uh, into its shorts fund in order to really just kind of get a little bit more traction, get YouTube creators to use it a lot more. It rewards creators for their most viewed and most engaging content through 2021 and I believe rolling even through 2022. Um, and so the thing about it, you know, they haven't released a lot of details about, you know, how they're going to be vetting content and the creators how they're going to ensure that the content being posted on YouTube shorts isn't just cross-posted TikToks or Instagram reels. Um, So there's a lot of uncertainty about the operations of it specifically, but a great model to look at for, you know, how possibly possibly, 
um, workout is the Snapchat Spotlight when they were also trying to encourage users to use that functionality by rewarding them for their engaging and most viewed content. So it's going to be very interesting, I think. Um, Again, when we're talking about the ability for creators to diversify their revenue streams and kind of having their hands in a variety of buckets of, of, of platforms, you know, anywhere where the money goes, I doubt that someone won't try it. Uh, so, you know, of course mm-hmm. that begs the question too, if viewers will be, um, if viewers will be engaging with YouTube shorts to, you know, a, a high enough level to, again, build traction. But, um, given that, you know, you'll definitely see creators wanting to utilize the space. I think from a marketing perspective, you know, we should definitely look at how we can roll ourselves into that world. Um, especially as it is newer and people are kind of clamoring to get involved. Yeah, so much of what you were saying with Beauty Fest, Juliana, in terms of just anything that gives more power and possibility to creators is a is a good thing in, in my mind. So if if if, if YouTube wants to create a creators fund uh, that encourages them to make shorts, all power to them. You know, more monetization for them, uh, more more reasons for them to to create and put out content into the world, and that's what YouTube's all about. And so you know, them putting their creators first, I think, is is the right move and what they should always be doing. $100 million is awesome too. So for your creator fund bingo card, I believe we have TikTok has one, Clubhouse has one, Pinterest has one. Snapchat has one. Snapchat has one. And now YouTube has one. And I'm just holding on for the Tumblr one. <laughs> <laughs> for all six people on Tumblr. Yeah, we're still waiting for that headline to come through, the Tumblr creator fund. Um, no, I think it's great. Now, I guess my question, because, you know, I'm not completely savvy, but are they the same? Are, are we seeing a lot of the same creators um, on multiple platforms or, or or would a YouTube creator be completely different from a TikTok creator? I mean, I'll definitely let the social guy speak to it. No <laughs> offense, Joseph, but... <laughs> no, none, no offense taken. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that... I think that you do naturally see, you know, bleed over, you know, across channels, um, you know, social kind of transcends across channels these days. Uh, but what you do see is their narrative slightly changing based on the way that the, the channel acts, right? So, for example, uh, you know, a creator on TikTok, like Party Shirt, that is, you know, just does one format, pretty much factor cap. It's just, you know, is this is this real or is this, you know, not real? Um, just a short form format on TikTok. When you see what they do on YouTube, it's a lot longer of a format. Their 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 uh, their skits are longer. Um, it's just a lot more drawn out. So if you, it's almost like if you like them on TikTok, then subscribe to their YouTube channel. Um, so TikTok, I think, is a is a great way to to get these short form, you know, uh, I guess ways in to the creator's head and 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 their creations. And then YouTube is going to be more of that longer form. Uh, deeper dive. Um, if you really do care about who they are, if you want to learn more about, I guess, their girlfriend or their their life, that's where you might subscribe to their YouTube channel and just get a little bit more extra content. So to answer your question, I think that it's natural that they're going to be on, on all their channels. But of course, thinking about how to use that channel specific and tell their narrative in, in a way that that is bespoke to that channel so that you have a reason to follow them on two different channels. That is so wild to me now and especially i think from anyone who might still have the misguided notion that being a content creator is an easy job uh (laughs) can definitely do away with that because i mean even when vine was starting to fold 
and you saw buying creators trying to move to Instagram and YouTube. And there was kind of like the, the stumble steps of that. But now you have to be really, it's sort of a hat trick in order to be able to transfer mm -hmm. your content, your voice, like you said, into a platform that rewards 10 plus minute videos and a place where you will take like now you have three minutes, but you know, 60 seconds yeah. or around that time. And then, you know, Instagram, where someone's going to be power scrolling. So how do you get their attention with the visual as well? Like, there's so many different things you have to be uh, conscious of. So if you can be successful in all these spaces, uh, just like any other job, it's going to be a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's crazy how native video editing is to, to these creators these days, in the sense that you can't just be a singer, songwriter, dancer. You have to also edit your footage as well and kind of tell a story with your talent. And so it's just cool to see, you know, these young creators just growing up so native to to video editing and storytelling. And it's just so cool that they're able to clearly just immediately understand this is the story that I should be telling on TikTok and should be edited this way and have this sort of pacing and this sort of like tonality versus YouTube. Let, let it be a little bit more legato and less staccato. Just it's just so native to them in terms of how they they, they create that bespoke editing process. So um, I wish I was. <laughs> I was that talented and that much of a hat trick, but alas, here I am just, you know, the social guy commenting from, from the background. And <laughs> <laughs> we just talk about it. That's all. Yeah. Generation yeah. iMovie wins again. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Generation iMovie. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, I think that is a great place to stop for today. Um, this has been fantastic. Uh, Juliana, Joseph, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just a quick uh, program note, next week, we're going to take off for Memorial Day um, and we will have some special episodes of the five things coming in June that we're really excited about. And if you don't already, please follow us on Apple and Spotify. Uh, be sure to email us at podcast at gray.com. I'll respond uh, very nicely. And, um, you know, as always, in the words of Kenny Gold, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. Thanks, everyone. Bye. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Patti and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>